This podcast will discuss controversial subjects and what some may think is a derogatory way. We fully respect everyone's freedom of religion and our freedom of speech. Listener discretion is advised. to reverse remedial Sunday school where I give Tanya and Claire a research break and tell them about various things related to Japanese religions and mythology. I'm Tanya, slightly traumatized former Catholic with no knowledge of Japanese Buddhism and just a very cursory understanding of Indian Buddhism. I'm Claire, born and raised in Evangelical Bible Belt, and now a resident of the Midwest and own many more winter coats. I took East Asian Civ in college as a freshman and have promptly forgotten most of it after the final exam. And I'm Jen. Uh, In addition to growing up as a godless heathen in a happy secular household, uh, I'm looking forward to confusing Tanya and Claire with some of the uh, interesting quirks that are a little bit different about... uh, Japanese uh, religious stories. Tanya and Claire both are experts at medieval European art history and uh, know a lot more about uh, religion in uh, the Western world than I ever will. And I'm uh, a scholar of pre-modern and early modern Japanese literature and visual culture. I would like to clarify that since I'm a literature specialist, when I have read the tales I'm about to tell you today, I read them as literary texts, not as re- specifically religious texts in the way that someone in the field of religious studies would. So take that with a grain of salt as I hopefully, in an entertaining way, explain these interesting stories. So yeah, super duper academic. Today's episode is called Just the Spear Tip. And we are going to be learning about the primary creation myth in the fun world of Japanese religions. So I have my own little special disclaimer about what we're getting into as far as Japan goes, because there is this kind of nasty stereotype about how Japan is, you know, weird and everything. And there's like all sorts of like subreddits and stuff out there about all the weird things that you can find in Japan. And it's such a weird country. It's also known as a cool country, too, but it's like a cool, weird country. And I just want to state for the record that most of the things that people think of as weird about Japan, they're also weird in Japan. Like you've just found something objectively weird. (laughs) So that's the number one thing. Specifically thinking about all like the panty vending machines and all of like the weirdness that's surrounding like anime and popular culture in some ways. So a lot of that's weird in Japan. They have panty vending machines? Yeah. (laughs) So like... It is. But... But... Tell me, they have panty vending machines. Okay, so... Why don't they have those in women's restrooms in the U.S.? I feel like that could really come in handy. I guess I should have specified that the ones that people are finding particularly weird are the so-called used panty vending machines where it's... Yeah, that's weird in Japan, too. That's not just a weird Japan thing. That's just perverts using capitalism to make more money. (laughs) I guess I shouldn't be so judgmental because, you know, really, if you want to go around purchasing allegedly used women's panties you know go for it it's your money you spend it how you want uh, <laughs> it was a whole storyline on orange is the new black yeah yeah it was so oh, i mean yeah. that sort of kink is here in the united states too and it's it's niche here it's niche in japan but the actual um 
reality of the the whole thing that got started is that um japan used to have you know well it still does have the the salary man culture where like you're working at your office from like nine in the morning till midnight and just catching like the last train home and japan is chronically overworked in general they have a kind of an overwork culture so some people would spend the night at the offices or in like businessman oriented hotels and so if you needed a change of underwear you could just go to the vending machine and, and buy like a change of underwear like that's kind of where like the original origin of those machines come from. It's kind of practical in the context of the culture of overwork in Japan. But then of course, people get ideas and they just decide to roll with them. <laughs> See, okay, so that's not thinking you were gonna say, but you're gonna say they were so overworked that they still wanted to get it on in some weird way. And so by used women's underwear. Anyways, um, my question is how much are these underwear and two like could they pay off someone's student loan debt that is a very good question i have never personally purchased underwear used or otherwise from a vending machine in japan so i could not tell you the exact price and i'm sure you know inflation would play a big part in (laughs) the pricing of such a commodity but sorry what was the part two of your question (laughs) oh could you pay off your student loans yeah you know, I'm going to say if you had Japanese student loans, maybe, but I, I think generally the culture in Japan is that parents will still pay for your college. So, oh. and also colleges. See, okay, okay. But Jen, if we started this, where you sold your used underwear, I know you have a lot of student loan debt. <laughs> so you'd have to put another person's picture on the outside of the package because like a lot of them have like a stock image of like a woman to give you an idea of like ooh, who's wearing the underwear hey hey i think i think we have other productive ways of monetizing this than um okay no 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 no. listen listen why don't we see we could have our own branded used underwear Mm. and then people would have to guess whose underwear it was or maybe not or <laughs> remedial Sunday school used underwear. We'll send it to you. You have to pay us like a thousand dollars, and we'll send you one of us one of our pairs of used underwear. And it's like it's like a it's like a a, a surprise. You don't know whose underwear you're gonna get. What if we just designed quirky stickers? I, I would have to two criticisms of, of the used underwear idea. One, I, I can't say I'm one hundred five thousand dollars of the economics of used underwear, but I'm pretty sure one thousand to five thousand dollars is probably too much. There are probably cheaper used underwears on the market that uh, the the aficionado of you would probably go for. Two, I also think foot but pictures they're not from us. <laughs> i'd rather just I'm, I'm lazy. i'd rather just take pictures of my feet and post them behind a paywall <laughs> if i were to go that way i mean i'm not opposed to that either i've got like a weird scar <laughs> on my ankle i'm sure someone's into that <laughs> all right well i'm gonna steer us back onto the topic so <laughs> my, my main point of this weird japan thing is that uh that's not what we're doing here <laughs> <laughs> I think I think what your point is is Japan's not weird. Tanya is. Um, no, I, you know, I'm not judgmental. All people <laughs> are very weird in many ways. I mean, I'm not going to say anyone's weird. I translate dirty poetry, <laughs> so and I constantly have to go through all the synonyms for some of the most interesting uh, maneuvers that uh, people do in these things. So, 
<laughs> my bar for weirdness is abnormally high. <laughs> so my point is that when I laugh at these stories I'm going to tell, I'm not necessarily laughing like, haha, making fun of Japan. Japan is so weird. I'm fully aware of like the historical and religious context these stories uh, take place in. I don't have an understanding of that, but uh, even so to, I think, to modern Japanese people as well, some of these stories are also kind of comical in some respects. Do they have manga for these? Oh god, you know, I haven't super duper looked into it. There's probably manga that have these stories in it, but they're not going to be like Kojiki the manga or anything like that, because uh, there's a lot more that's in like subsequent like books or chapters than the creation tales I'm going to tell that is more like a genealogy. You know, I'll just get into it and I'll kind of explain what these are but I, I there's probably something manga or anime like that you can find in Japan or I don't know if it's translated but I'm sure it exists so before we get into the actual books I'll be covering and the stories in those books I need to kind of give a little bit of an explanation a very very quick and dirty explanation for the different uh religions and philosophies that are all coming together and influencing Japan at the time of these were written so first of all, these books are sort of what is called the Shinto creation myth, even though the term Shinto is contested by several scholars. But the quick and dirty is that Shintoism is sometimes called an animistic religion because people who believe in these practices usually have affiliation with like certain deities called kami. But it's also, I guess a deity might be a little bit overly broad. There's the belief in like certain spirits that can inhabit pretty much anything. If you have like a super awesome tree, like, think of the, the California Redwoods, like, some places would probably rope those off with, like, white ropes, and that would be kind of be known as a, a sacred tree or a, a tree that has a kami that is either residing within it or something like that. So, with that in mind, this nature religion, it definitely, we know, traces back to about 300 BCE, but the concepts that are actually kind of generally within it are probably older than that. It's just kind of what archaeologists have been able to dig up. Shintoism doesn't have any central authority uh, or control or anything like that, and so there's a lot of diversity in beliefs. You'll find regional, like, festivals and practices that won't be you won't see elsewhere and there's not necessarily hostility about it it's just it's a nature religion so you're probably going to be more likely to worship the the natural things that are in your immediate area the texts that we do have that i'll be talking about today they kind of have some commonly held beliefs within them that might be sprinkled broadly among people who practice the ideas of shintoism but these aren't like the bible in an authoritative text like there was no council of shintoism nicaea that ever happened where like they were like edited <laughs> like they're not like this is the one thing you got to believe to be one of us like it's just these particular stories and the way that they were compiled were compiled primarily for political purposes when we get right down to it like sure there's religion but it's also there to justify why the imperial line gets to rule japan shintoism is a big part and this story is often credited as like the shinto creation myth but another influence in here is buddhism and buddhism came to japan through korea and china probably around the sixth century ce maybe a little bit earlier there's never really a firm arrival date these things kind of trickle in and become a thing most japanese schools of buddhism are obviously probably going to be based in East Asian styles that were started in China. There's a few that were kind of grown out of Japan itself, but all of the sort of things that you would associate with Buddhist practice are going to be coming from the China and East Asian traditions rather than like the traditions that you see coming out of India 
South Asia, Southeast Asia. They look a little bit different. So you're saying that pretty much Buddhism in Japan was filtered through China before it got... Yes. Uh, so Buddhism uh, came from India, went up through China, and then China had a lot of tributary states at the time. So it went through many of the tributary states, including Korea. And between missions to Korea and China, they both kind of brought in Buddhism. But what they have in common with Indian Buddhism is kind of the general concepts that you probably would have learned in school. You know, the goal is to reach nirvana or enlightenment, and you want to stop the cycle of karmic reincarnation and not exist anymore. <laughs> Basically. Escape from this hellish plane. <laughs> exactly. The, the goal is um, enlightened non-existence. So, and if you uh, want to know more about what the Eightfold Path are and our nirvana and karma and everything... You can get into that on Wikipedia. That'll get you like 70% of the way there, probably. <laughs> Just as a general knowledge. <laughs> well, also, we'll probably call, cover it at some point. Yeah, definitely. We'll get someone who actually, you know, is in the religious studies of these things to come and explain in detail more of those. But that is not me. I'm here for the fun and for my knowledge of Japan. <laughs> so the third thing you need to know is... So Taoism is also another spiritual and philosophical practice it's kind of hard to like pin down a firm definition of but basically uh it's a mixture of spiritual concepts from china that are also kind of uh, related to like nature as well in japan you can see taoist influences in certain superstitions or astrology uh the concepts of demons and spirits they're heavily influenced by by taoism um, you might recognize Taoism in your own sort of experience by the concept of yin and yang. Uh, nice little, the circle with the the dots of the different color, you know, there's the black and the white and the white and the black and all that. Feng Shui has Taoist concepts in it in terms of like where the most auspicious arrangement of things are and where you don't want to put things for inauspicious or bad luck. Oh, I have a, I have a quick, a quick tangent. My mother uh, was really into Feng Shui at one point and feng shui our house how'd that go <laughs> i guess it was fine though you know letting evil in with my tarot cards but yeah <laughs> that's extremely funny i don't know that much specifically about feng shui other than i remember that uh, you don't want your front door facing the north because the north is where the demons and the bad come from and so you don't want to what about your back door i don't know if... <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Uh, I have no idea. Not my lane. Uh, I don't really uh, choose to arrange my furniture this way. Taoism is also the source of like being able to calculate like what is the most auspicious day to have certain important like life events. Like you want to calculate if your wedding to be on a on a good day. You don't want to have like your wedding on doomsday or anything like that. And also Chinese zodiacs that you probably see on menus at Chinese restaurants here with like you got your tiger. I'm a tiger. Uh, you got your dragon, the rat and all those based on off of what year you were born all that stuff stems from Taoism. in china Taoism Claire and i are monkeys <laughs> you were born in the year of the monkey nice that's right i'm a feisty tiger i think i prefer to be a tiger or a dragon or a ninja monkeys are cute but then again i am a lion i am a lion in the western tradition nice i'm a ram i mean it's okay i guess <laughs> <laughs> are you a fish claire yeah pisces aren't you like two fish isn't that part of the or am i thinking like yeah. a, a libra or whatever two fish three fish red mm -hmm. fish blue fish <laughs> in china taoism dates back to at least the fourth century bce 
and I can't pinpoint a date range where it first arrived in Japan. Uh, we do know that the Chinese legal system, which is also heavily Taoism influenced, was adopted in Japan in the 7th and 8th centuries. So for the purposes of our episode today, uh, we know that Taoism was influencing these stories too. And finally, this might seem a little bit weird to include, but Confucianism. Not strictly speaking a religion necessarily, it's definitely more of ethical principles, but it kind of gets mixed in with Japanese religions, and so it's kind of hard to like pull it away fully, just because of the way that Buddhist ideas end up getting integrated into the structure of Japanese society. So, question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See how it feels, Jen. Question. In Japan, were they as, did they embrace Confucianism, like this whole like bureaucratic stratification and stuff? Like they did in China, or yeah, yes, they did. The structure of Japanese government around the seventh and eighth and ninth, (laughs) basically, what the time that we call like you know the the early. I don't bother giving the names of those eras because it doesn't really make sense too. Because no one will know what they mean but me. You can say what they are, and then Claire and I will translate what that means in the in uh, medieval world. So that would probably be the Nara period is a big one. That's where Buddhism kind of reaches full popularity, full influencing of Japan and continues to this day. It's named so because the capital of Japan at the time was in Nara, (laughs) which is where a lot of uh, very, very old temples are. And go and see a lot of, well, at some point, a lot of the temples got lit on fire at various points in time in history. So it's kind of like weird to call it original, but it's still going to be pretty old. (laughs) Aren't they made of wood? Oh, yeah. (laughs) The best building material. God, I have so many stories about various things getting lit on fire uh, at various points in Japan. (laughs) Um, Fires were bad for a lot of Japanese uh, history, including through uh, World War II. (laughs) So, I mean, you're not a lot of, especially medieval, like the Great Fire of London. There's a reason why they built things in brick and stone afterwards. Yeah. Like throughout the city, because that (laughs) the whole town went up like a city. Yeah. It was bad. My helpful analogy that I have as a a note written in here is that Confucianism came in from China, probably along with Buddhism, but Buddhism was the hot new girl in town who caught everyone's attention, and Confucianism was her slightly less hot friend who also happened to move in at the same time. Confucianism and Buddhism aren't necessarily totally, like, I didn't want to call them sisters because that would imply like a, a, a relationship maybe in the development of the two. That's not necessarily the case. It's just they both came in Japan at the same time. Step cousins. Step cousins. Yeah, something like that. And so they both came in Japan at the same time. Buddhism really, really took off. But Confucianism was also getting a lot of attention too, especially like in government. Later on in Japanese history, the the new school, the next generation of Confucian scholars developed Neo-Confucianism. And that's actually how like the Edo period or what people would know as probably the samurai times of a Japanese society that's how society ends up getting structured except for kind of different because it puts the warrior class on top instead of the peasants uh (laughs) okay Jen you have to do a reverse Sunday school where you explain the religion aka cult of the samurai (laughs) and I don't I don't even mean in the Edo period okay but like people like even like western fascination like you could give us the truth because I know you like to give us the truth and then also like 
Why is Tom Cruise the samurai in The Last Samurai? <sighs> Isn't it Tom Cruise? It is Tom Cruise in that movie. I watched that movie in the 11th grade. I watched that movie in the 11th grade. And then and then we watched Seven Years in Tibet. It was like a Brad, wait, <laughs> Brad, it was like a Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise thing that we had going on of these white dudes in these foreign places. <laughs> The time period, it was like around the change of Japan adopting certain aspects of uh, more importing some aspects of Western cultures is an accurate like setting. Tom Cruise and his his character, not specifically there, but the concept of a last samurai is uh, romanticized in Japanese history through the Boshin Wars, which basically it was the wars that finally decided that like samurai as a class get eliminated. We're all just people. Um, and certain samurai were not big fans of that. So they tried to have a rebellion. It did not go well for them. <laughs> Ooh, spooky. <laughs> but the, the it depicts the war kind of silly. Saigo Takamori had guns. <laughs> At least, I guess, like, if you're going for authenticity, Tom Cruise probably does fit in height-wise. <laughs> That's very true. I watched The Edge of Tomorrow recently, and at the end, when they were trying... No, no, it wasn't The Edge of Tomorrow. It was... That's a good movie, though. It's a really good movie. I I liked it. I made the mistake of not seeing it when it came out. I watched Oblivion that came out at the same time. Fucking hate that movie. Except for the soundtrack. The soundtrack is really great. I listened to that, but hate hate that movie. Hot takes from me. I think I saw Oblivion in the theaters, and we were just, like, really bored. Do we know any Scientologists who could come (gasps) to a Sunday School episode? Speaking of Tom Cruise. You mean former former Scientologists. I don't right, want to see former. to an actual practicing Scientologist. Yeah, that might that might be weird. I mean, for research. We should ask our friend in Minneapolis if she knows anyone. I do have concerns about being sued. Uh, I've heard that then Scientologist fellows are very litigate. Litigious. I don't think we're going to be big enough to be on their radar and they'll probably just ignore us. Either that or they'll be like, easy bait. <laughs> And what kind of money are we supposed to be able to have that would be easy pickings? The thing is, is that like, I mean, other, yeah, I I think we'll be fine. Mm -hmm. If not, we'll get Leah Rimney to be on our podcast and then we'll really get targeted. So. All right. So just to wrap up Confucianism in case uh, people (laughs) don't remember this. Not Scientology. Not Scientology. Scientology. Probably in Japan. I don't know about it and I uh, don't care. But Confucianism, again, uh, not so much a religion as it is an ethical and moral philosophy, kind of tied in with Japanese religions and society, based on the ideas of the Chinese philosopher Kung Fuzi, who lived from 551 to 479 BCE, and all of his different disciples who uh, continued to write on his ideas and modify them and expand upon them and all that jazz. So he's like Jesus. Kind of. That's the gist of the religions and philosophies that we're working with in these texts today about the texts themselves. So the one of them that we're talking about is uh, the Kojiki, or the Record of Ancient Matters. And we date that one, I say we like I was there, as like part of like the Japanese historians that, uh, <laughs> I'm going to leave it in there, we, Japanese studies. Japanese. Japanese, oh, I hate that. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> That's what it's what um I had someone call people who study Japan things. Japanologists. Japanologists uh is more common. I don't really I don't super like it, but I think but not Japanist. <laughs> I'm Googling people who study Japan. People who study China are called Sinologists, but I have Japanology. 
Japanology. It sounds like that made up field that uh, the Da Vinci Code guy studies. What is he Maybe studying? that's just because it has an ology on the end of it. I'm just skeptical of ologies. <laughs> oh, you mean like Scientology? Yeah. Just, it's a weird word. The weird suffix. Uh, I guess I'll just say Japanese specialists. So us Japanese specialists have dated the Kojiki to around like 711 or 712 uh, CE. And Nihongi, or the record of Japan, dates to uh, around like 720. So these are both texts that were composed in very chronologically close proximity to one another. The quick and dirty of the background of these texts is that basically the imperial family contracted some people to write up a history of Japan and obviously the imperial family has a vested interest in having an explanation for why they are the ones sitting on the throne and not anyone else so basically Shocker. I know right uh the Kojiki and the Nihongi or Nihon Shoki it's also called um, I'll probably end up using those interchangeably but the divine right of kings is what you can kind of compare it to. So uh, in addition to these uh, creation myths, both the Kojiki and the Nihongi also have convenient genealogies that are in like the subsequent chapters after like the, the creation myths. Okay, I just want to point out that this is actually a huge thing in Western European culture where kings um, put out these genealogies and like a really famous one is the Tree of David stained glass windows in Saint-Chapelle in France where they pretty much are tracing their ancestry all the way back to Jesus just FYI and like King David so okay go on so my question is are there earlier creation stories that disagree with this like divine right to rule propaganda or are they just sort of like reforming the other stories into there's some notes in the text that i have that kind of talk a little bit about that unfortunately for us japanese literary specialists the kojiki <laughs> it's like the earliest extant piece of japanese writing that we have so if there were other texts we, we don't have them now but okay Gotcha. I, I'm pretty sure the people who compiled the Kojiki, they didn't invent these totally by themselves. There's archaeological evidence of the belief in kami and stuff beforehand. And also, before Japan gets it organized under the, this sort of imperial lineage that we have, when China first made contact with Japan, there's recordings that there was a female, an empress of Japan. It, it was described as a very different kind of rule than what we have once the imperial line takes over. And it's kind of unclear when the, these things end, but the empress was Empress Himiko, and she had a bajillion, like, female shamanesses that, like, it was a very shamanistic kind of organization of society. There was, like, a million chicks who were, like, responsible for, like, keeping nature and divinity and stuff in check. And then she also... It sounds pretty rad. No, it does sound really rad. I like it. Himiko's brother was also, like, her advisor, but she was the one that was, like, sitting on the throne. But I guess she took his opinion into a count on some things they seem pretty close and i'm pretty sure she had her own little man harem super duper great kind of a nice change from what we get later on imperial family i'm looking your way <laughs> yeah wait what tony you look like you had a comment <laughs> i'm just really annoyed <laughs> men have ruined so many things we don't cover this in uh in this episode but if you want to know something also enraging is that uh there have been a couple of empresses in japan's history once the imperial lineage starts but pretty early on one of the empresses ends up having an affair with a buddhist monk dokyo the the empress was called empress koken good for her uh well i mean yes but also all the men in the in like the imperial court were like obviously since she's getting dicked by this monk he's the one who's the 
feeding her all these ideas about Buddhism and how to best rule or whatever. So we can't let women be empress anymore because they might have sex and they might listen to the see, see actually this a very similar thing happens when it comes to western christianity it's another fanfic thing that we'll have an entire episode about but pretty much they wrote this there's an account of a fake female pope who was cross-dressing as a man and pretty much they wrote this whole account about her as why women can't be pope oh but related to my actual practice of translating dirty poetry, it actually becomes a trope in the dirty poetry that the reason why Empress Koken uh, was really into Dokyo is because he had a really, really big dick and she had a really, really big vagina. And so they were like a match made in heaven. So like they get made fun of, but also it's kind of like a symbol of like, you know, <laughs> companionable relations, I guess. So Wow. Also, why don't you tell our small audience who you think wrote all these or wrote most of them you know i think there's a lot of scholars that say that it was only japanese dudes who were writing all this dirty poetry i don't think that's the case at all and we do have a couple of specific examples of women that we know wrote dirty poetry of course they get treated like the exceptions that prove the rule i don't think so there's a lot of poetry on like having your period in both in like framing it in a like a positive way, a neutral way, and like a shitty way, kind of the way that we would talk about periods of day in that love, hate, love to hate uh, kind of relationship a lot of women have with them, at least as far as I know in, in uh, Western society, our society, <laughs> and then also uh, recently a lot of times in Japan. So, uh, and it's not just because of the period poetry. It's not, this isn't just some comment about like, aha, female comedians making period jokes and that's all they can do. But like, there's a lot of other um, poems that have, potential perspectives of women and like they don't necessarily have a name attached to them so we can't say 100% for sure but even if like let's say hypothetically they're poems that are written by men they're also channeling a woman's perspective from that time period in a lot of cases so we can kind of complexify it in terms of like if you're trying to put yourselves in the shoe and write from the perspective of a woman like is it really just a male poem <laughs> like is it really just about men but yeah, that's kind of in a general direction of where I, I head with a lot of these things. I think women are writing dirty shit. And, they and always if you're have. a man and you think everything is about you. Well, narcissistic. You're wrong. Yeah. Also, there's way too many depictions of like sex toys for women that I'm like, um, I don't think these were being invented by men. And plus, I've seen way too many images of uh, women using strap-ons with each other uh, in uh, Dirty Prince. So some say that it's just male fantasy. I'm like, mm, Sometimes male fantasy also is reflective of uh, things that were going on in reality. <laughs> Sometimes a male fantasy is also a female fantasy. And with that longer than I intended explanation <laughs> of the way, I figured <laughs> I would uh, read from the books. Let us begin. This is book one of the Nihongi, titled Age of the Gods, part one. Of old, heaven and earth were not yet separated, and the in and the yo not yet divided. They formed a chaotic mass like an egg which was a of obscurely defined limits and contained germs so that's our first paragraph i had a big pause there because if you look at the book that i'm reading uh those first two sentences are on the page and then the entire rest of the page is notes <laughs> so hey it kind of sounds like my annotated bible yeah basically so just so we're clear the yin and the yo are the japanese uh pronunciations of yin and yang Yes, Tanya. But they're making an egg? Yes. The, okay. The, 
yin and yang were not yet divided yet. And they, I guess all of this nebulous stuff, was a chaotic mass. What do they mean by germs? I made an egg. I'm sure that germs is a translation of like impurities. Because ah. then various Shinto ritual practices, the concept of purity and impurity becomes important so that's why there's a lot of cleaning of oneself like for those of you who might have been to japan if you try to enter a shrine which anyone in the public typically can do typically it's customary to go to the the fountain that is out front and you take a ladle and you wash your your hands with the the water that's out there and then once your hands are clean you can you pour water into your hand and then you uh sip it and then you spit that out after kind of not full-on gargling but rinsing your mouth and it's to help purify oneself before entering the shrine. If the egg is a little bit unclear in this uh, context and the germs, we can turn to the, the Kojiki's very similar introductory words. But at the time of the beginning of heaven and earth, there came into existence in Takama no Hara, a deity named Ame no Minaka Nushi no Kami. So that one's even more vague in some ways, but this, the Kojiki version is saying that there is a plane because uh, in a lot of, uh, East Asian beliefs, the heavenly realm is conceptualized as a heavenly plane. So it's it's actually thought of as like an actual like location, I guess, or at least it has the geological properties. Uh, I don't know. So in some ways, the Kojiki is a little more clear in that respect than the more figurative egg. And the Kojiki version just gets right into the birth of like lots of different gods right away the nihongi seems to be a little bit more it draws it out you know it wants to create an image even if that image is vaguely defined and full of germs <laughs> all right moving on the purer and clearer part was thinly drawn out and formed heaven while the heavier and grosser elements settled down and became earth <laughs> any questions so far <laughs> i really like this translation so this is the 2005 Tuttle Publishing translation of the Nihongi by W.G. Aston. I think this is a newer edition of, a, of an older. So the finer element easily became a united body, but the consolidation of the heavy and gross element was accomplished with difficulty. So it's like a nice sifted flour up top, and then you had to mix the batter like it was all chunky. It didn't really like, it wasn't an even smooth. It's like, okay, okay. It's like when you're baking and the heavens is the creamed butter and sugar. And then once you start adding in the chocolate chunks, it wants to like separate and not mix in. This makes sense to me. I don't, I don't. I don't know. Your analogy doesn't include enough grossness for me too. <laughs> it's funny that you went to food because I, I thought of food too. I was thinking of like a vinaigrette that you make at home where like it's not emulsified yet. Um... And so originally it's like a shaken up vinaigrette with all the shit everywhere. And then over time it starts to separate out and like granted the oily, the oil is on top, but then like all of your vinegar and herbs and your spices. Herbs and spices. On like yeah <laughs> the 11 herbs and spices go on the bottom so that's kind of how i looked at it oh 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 i have a gross one for you oh great <laughs> well it's pretty gross so who else learned about how refineries work in elementary school to not grow up in texas so that was not on the agenda of uh, my my education did grow up in texas but not where that was school, and also not in a place where there were tons of refineries. 
Also, I went to religious school, so my like science education was pretty lacking. <laughs> I did have a very nice leaf journal where we had to draw pictures of leaves. <laughs> I had science anyways, but like whenever you learn about refineries, pretty much you have these like phallic tubes where the oil separates into its different components. It's refined into its different components. Mm. And yeah, the finer stuff is at the top and the bottom is oh it's also like cheese oh like the curds in the way well there you go audience several different food analogies (laughs) and one crude oil refining analogy (laughs) how creation happened the well at least the creation of heaven and earth happened in the shinto-ish belief context (laughs) so heaven was therefore formed first and earth was established subsequently Thereafter, divine beings were produced between them. Hence, it is said that when the world began to be created, the soil of the lands were composed, floated about in a manner which might be compared to the floating of a fish sporting on the surface of the water. I don't know what fish sporting means. You know what a fish sporting means? I do. (laughs) Go ahead. Pretty sure fish sporting is when they like go up and they like go back down. So like jumping out of the water? Yeah. Okay, maybe that's like, I don't know much about fish. Yeah, it's like fish. (laughs) I'm I'm looking it up. Well, while you're doing that, I'll I'll give the gist of a note that comes after the divine beings being produced between them. Apparently, modern Shinto scholars criticize this particular opening as being overly heavily influenced by Chinese-style rationalistic relationships, which is the, the focus on binaries, part of Chinese, certain Chinese philosophies, present in Taoism. So you have your yin and your yang, and once they're together, they're balanced. In this case, we have the earth balancing out uh, with heaven. So it's very binary in that respect. The author and the people that he's citing suspect that this particular passage got edited at some point to be more Chinese influenced, which would kind of make sense because the government at this time was starting to become heavily structured based on Chinese legal codes and Chinese legal system. So what did you find for fish sporting? So Jesus Christ, it's just like, see, I'm only getting stuff that is like these fish are being fished for sport. But I don't think that's the context of what it's trying to Sport say. Fishing. I think there means sporting. Maybe they're having okay. fun. Oh, 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 I have a new I, I have a new idea. Let me look up the word sporting etymology. Oh my god, they're a soccer club in Portugal. Sporting Club or Sporting Club de Portugal. Tres Grandes football club. I wonder if this is the image of like a koi fish that's just kind of hanging like swimming around just below the surface. And popping up every now and then or something. But I don't, I, I have no idea. Maybe at some point we need to have an angler come onto the show so we could talk to them just about this. <laughs> I mean, I actually know some. Ask an angler. <laughs> okay, so it could be play. Oh, frolic. Okay. Gamble, frisk, romp, cavort, caper, wonton, frolic. All right. Work around. Imagine, listener, just what fish look like when they're playing on the surface of the water. Frolicking. Yeah, frolicking. Imagine what that looks like. And that's what the islands of the world looked like at this point in creation. (laughs) And I'm sure whatever you're imagining, probably right. We move on. At this time, a certain thing was produced between heaven and earth. It was formed like a reed shoot. Now this, skip the notes, became transformed into a god. 
and was called Kunitoko Tachi no Mikoto. So is the reed shoot supposed to be phallic? I mean, I assume everything that's longer than it is wide is phallic. (laughs) (laughs) Is that accurate? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Some men. So now we're going to get a listing of several deities. They don't come up a lot in the the plot after this, as far as I know. So um, don't worry about all of these names or what they mean. Yeah, kind of quiz us later. I will not. (laughs) I would have a hard time remembering in order to construct the quiz. So next there was Kuni no Satsuchi no Mikoto, and next Toyokumu no no Mikoto. In all, three deities. Oh, I guess our translator does translate some of these names, but they aren't very good for names. Like, land of right soil of augustness. It's okay, just speak Japanese to us. (laughs) And this part, our translator has a lot of notes on, so listen in. These were pure males spontaneously developed by the operation of the principle of heaven. So Cool story, bro. Yeah, cool story, bro. (laughs) So our author notes that the principle of heaven is the same as the yo or male principle of Chinese philosophy. That's yang. Uh, This again is no part of, he says old tradition, but I think what he's trying to say, this isn't, this isn't purely Japanese. This is coming from China, which yeah, that idea probably did. And also I will say in the uh, Kojiki, these gods are actually referred to as hitorikami, which just means uh, they were born as like single kami or like gods or spirits. It makes no mention of any gender affiliation that these would have. So it just means that when these gods came into existence, they were just their own little singular gods. We'll see later on that uh, the gods start being born as like binary pairs. And then they, they do seem to have sort of a gender lean towards one another a lot of them are brothers and sisters which is very problematic for a modern person because a lot of them uh, engage in some sexy times uh and then like some of them are actually like egyptian deities yeah (laughs) 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 here's a really fun quotation that the compilers of the nihongi are giving us in one writing it is said when heaven and earth began a thing existed in the midst of the void its shape may not be described Within it, a deity was spontaneously produced whose name was Kunitokotachi no Mikoto, and also called Kunisokotachi no Mikoto. And next there was Kuni no Satsuchi no Mikoto, also called Kuni no, no, no Sachi no Mikoto. Uh, next there was Toyokuni Nushi no Mikoto, also called Toyokumunu no Mikoto. There's so many names I'm losing track and my, my eyes are skipping lines, but suffice it to say, he names the full name of the god and also what they might also be called um, several times. So it's just a, an epic catalog of various gods that were around at this time. And then it continues. In one writing, it is said, of old, when the land was young and the earth young, it floated about as it were floating oil. <laughs> oh, there you go. There's your oil refinery. <laughs> <laughs> At this time, a thing was produced within the land in the shape like a reed shoot when it sprouted forth. From this, there was a deity developed whose name was Umashiashi Kabi Hikoji no Mikoto. Next, there was Kuni Tokotachi no Mikoto, and next was Kuni Sachuchi no Mikoto. Oh my god. <laughs> there. So, um, I guess in a certain way, this answers your earlier question, Claire. Were uh, were there other writings that uh, discussed uh, this event? And apparently, there were other writings, and there were many of them. Not sure if we have them today. Probably not. But the the author of the the Nihongi has a, a lot of different writings that basically say the same thing. 
In one writing, it is said, when heaven and earth were in a state of chaos, there was first of all a deity whose name was Umashi Ashikabi Hikoji no Mikoto. Next, there was Kumiso Kotachi no Do they all end with no Mikoto? Yes, so Mikoto is a suffix. It's very elevated. You might commonly hear san. You might hear sama if someone is trying to be polite to a customer or someone who is considered, you know, elevated above them uh, hierarchically, I guess. Uh, Mikoto is like super duper extreme, like what you would use for for, for gods. It's just like an august title, I guess. (laughs) So they will all end in Mikoto. In one writing, it is said, when heaven and earth began, there were deities produced together whose names were first... Kunitoko Tachi no Mikoto, and next Kunino Mikoto. It is further stated that the names of the gods which were produced on the plane of high heaven uh, were Amano Minakanushi no Mikoto, next Takami Nubi no Mikoto, and next Kamimi Musubi no Mikoto. So there's going to be a lot of variations on this about. Uh... I love it. Would you like I me to continue to read every single one of them? <laughs> If you read every single one of them, I might just die laughing. Like, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll progressively faster the best that I can. Uh. <laughs> oh my god, please. Okay. Go faster. And while writing it, it said, before heaven and earth were produced, there was something that might which be called, <laughs> compared to a cloud floating over the sea, it had no place of attachment for its root. In the midst of this thing was it generated, which resembled a Richu when it was first produced in the mud. This Okay, became... okay, you just have to read the names faster. You don't have to read the whole oh, thing okay. faster. Okay, so this became straight away transformed into a human shape and was called Kuni no Tokotachi no Mikoto. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I think the next page gets us out of the in other writings. <laughs> this is the last one. In one writing, it is said, when heaven and earth began, a thing was produced in the midst of the void, which resembled a reed shoot. This became changed into a god who was called Amano Tokotachi no Mikoto. There was next Umashiashi Kabi no Kikoji no Mikoto. <laughs> it is further stated, there was a thing produced in the midst of the void flowed like floating oil from which a god was developed called Kunitoko Hatachi no Mikoto. And then we get to continue on with the, the list of gods. Uh, the next deities who came into being were Uhijini no Mikoto and Suhijiji no Mikoto, also called Uhijijini or ne, no Mikoto and Suhijine no Mikoto. So these are the ones that we're starting to see uh, being born in binary pairs. The next deities which came into being were Ohoto nochi no Mikoto and Ohoto Mahi no Mikoto. The next gods which came into being were Omotaru no Mikoto and Kashikone no Mikoto. I'm going to skip the also called just because we got the gist, right? Yeah. Also, like, I can't remember. These ones don't matter. We're getting to the two that actually matter for today. I promise. Okay, but then just read, just read, just read all of the ones that don't matter really fast. Okay. So, okay, but now we're to uh, what I'm going to call, for our purposes, the protagonists of uh, today's episode for creation. So, the next deities which came into being were Izanagi no Mikoto or Izanami no Mikoto. Now, this is Jen talking, not quoting the book now. So, Izanami is the female deity, and Izanagi is the dude deity. That's going to be important later. I'm going to summarize as I go. So, uh, one writing says that these two deities were the children of Ao. Kashiki no no Mikoto. One says there's a different god that produced these ones. There's deliberation in source about exactly which god parented these two creation gods. We don't need to know that. Parentage is contested is all we need to know. (laughs) 
there was no uh, fertility or DNA testing, paternity test. Well, and also they were probably playing historic telephone. And so some people thought one deity gave birth to Izanagi and Izanami and some other groups thought this other one did. So this is the summary, I think, of this this particular chapter of, of, the, of the Nihongi. These make eight deities in all. Pretty sure I read more than that. But that's okay. <laughs> Being formed <laughs> by the mutual action of heavenly and earthly principles, they were made male and female. From Kuni no Togotachi no Mikoto to Izanagi no Mikoto and Izanami no Mikoto are called the seven generations of the age of the gods. So that's a seven generations. Got through that real fast, except for all the names and nicknames. No Mikoto. Yeah, no Mikoto. <laughs> uh, in case you want to know more. And you need a clarified chart. This particular translation in the notes has a huge list of the family tree of all of these gods that were just birthed. And we will we will link to it. Yep. Fun fact. Illustration on this page. It's Iza Nagi putting the jewel spear into the water. I'll post this picture on our whatever page we're putting it on to. That's supposed to be phallic. Oh, we're getting to the phallus. It's on the next page, man. <laughs> <laughs> You want a dick in this story? I will give you a dick. (laughs) (laughs) So. I've been waiting. (laughs) Here's the actual story. The male god, Izanagi no Mikoto, and the female god, Izanami no Mikoto, stood on the floating bridge of heaven and held counsel together, saying, Is there not a country beneath? Thereupon, they thrust down the jewel spear of heaven, the penis. And groping about therewith found the ocean. The brine which dripped from the point of the spear coagulated and became an island which received the name Ohogorojima. The uh, little number one after the jewel spear of heaven here is 90% of the next two pages. (laughs) (laughs) I will give a summary. One scholar conjectures that the jewel spear of heaven was in the form of a pillar called a Hobashira. It literally means male pillar, and this word is usually applied to end posts or pillars of a railing or balustrade, no doubt (laughs) on account of the shape of the top, which ends in a sort of ball. It's supposed to resemble glands. That's part of the penis. (laughs) (laughs) Anatomy lesson. And in case you need more evidence, there is Chinese precedent for this indeed being a phallus. Because the Chinese expression, and he doesn't give the Chinese pronunciation of this. I'm assuming it's probably Wolbashira, its equivalent in Chinese. Uh, The jewel stock is an ornate word for the penis. Apparently the Japanese word for this is Wohashi or Wobashi, which contains nearly the same etymological elements as Wobashira. And this still goes on. Uh, There is a scholar named J. O'Neill in his Night of the Gods proposed the theory that the spear and other spears of myth are all but symbols of the earth axis and its prolongation. An idea that has worked out. Axis Mundi. Yep. It's the axis on which the world turns. But he also points out that this is not also inconsistent with the phallic interpretation of the spear. There are other indications. There's also apparently other indications within the Nihongi and Kojiki of phallic worship in ancient Japan, although probably owing to the influence of Chinese ideas of literary propriety, there are fewer than might have been expected. Yeah, there's, it's kind of funny, there's a lot of texts of Chinese emissaries coming to Japan and being like, these perverted motherfuckers. (laughs) 
because <laughs> they were they were shocked at some of the sexual practices that were going on in, in Japan at the time and and what they were seeing in some of the artwork and literature. Uh, so in some ways, uh, the Chinese visitors were a lot more conservative than uh, you might assume, maybe. And then there's also uh, he points out that any to all travelers in Japan, especially before the Meiji Revolution in 1868, must have observed few first evidences of phallic cult. And I'm not going to read the rest of it because it's way too detailed. And, but basically, there's a lot of it. I can tell you as a traveler in Japan, I went to a dick festival just outside of Tokyo. And it was actually filled with more foreigners than it was Japanese people. Uh, it was uh, <laughs> quite a popular thing. There was a parade palanquin of a giant penis that was being carried down the streets. There were candies that were in the shape of dicks. It was like a bachelorette party in the United States, but for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> just dicks all over the place i guess i should that say it's fun though a, a a bachelorette party and a heterosexual relationship i'm sure <laughs> lesbian bachelorette parties if i don't know they probably look different i assume <laughs> yeah so this note goes on and on but basically the gist is yeah this is probably a dick or at least dick related <laughs> and also this particular part of the story is uh the origin of the name of this episode just the spear tip so this is after the brine drips down and forms the okogorojima island the two deities thereupon descended and dwelt in this island accordingly they wished to become husband and wife together and to produce countries so they made onogorojima the pillar of the center of the land now the male deity turning by the left and the female deity by the right, they went around the pillar of the land separately, and when they met together on one side, the female deity spoke first and said, How delightful! I have met with a lovely youth. And the male deity was displeased and said, I am a man and by right should have spoken first. <laughs> <How is it? laughs> wow. <laughs> it's very blunt here. Um, how is it that on the contrary, thou, a woman, shouldst have been <laughs> the first to speak? This was unlucky. Let us go around again. And upon this, the two deities went back, and having met anew, this time the male deity spoke first and said, How delightful. I have met a lovely maiden. Any any questions? Fuck you. Yeah. So the notes in here don't say much about this passage other than the, its Confucian influence. But if I click back over to the tab with the Kojiki in it, the author's note, the condemnation of the woman for speaking first before the man was probably influenced by Chinese ideas. It is doubtful that the ancient Japanese had any such clear-cut ideas of male supremacy. And he provides a citation for a book that is stating that. This is another example where we can see that uh, Confucianism probably is creeping in with its influences and its male supremacy. So That's patriarchal bullshit. Yeah. If I can offer an interpretation, probably, maybe in the ancient Japanese mind, a ritual associated is simply breaking the order of operations, not necessarily, fuck you, woman, you gotta speak second. It's probably just like, okay, you go first, and then you go first. <laughs> and if you do it reversed, uh, things will happen. Continuing on. He then inquired of the female deity, saying, In thy body is there aught formed? She answered and said, In my body there is a place which is the source of femininity. The male deity said, In my body, again, there is a place which is the source of masculinity. I wish to unite this source place of my body to the source place of thy body. And thereupon... This is some weird-ass <laughs> <laughs> And thereupon the male and female first became united as husband and wife. They were fucking. 
<laughs> in case that wasn't clear I feel like it's pretty I feel like it's pretty blunt though like it's pretty straightforward there's no like I don't know I, I feel like it's pretty straightforward yeah it, it's pretty it's pretty straightforward hold on I think in the Kojiki it phrases it slightly differently I remember a version that I read uh when I first got into Japanese studies it was like I have an excess of stuff here <laughs> and the, the female god's like I have a lack of stuff right here <laughs> and they're like let's put that together we'll both be whole <laughs> and that's how they did it <laughs> it's pretty great <laughs> wow so, mm-hmm. very blunt it's very blunt uh i feel like i feel like this is much more sex education than a lot of us get in school this is true this is true so also i agree with i agree with claire's comment on this is weird foreplay mm-hmm. you gotta <laughs> dance around the spear and be like oh boy oh lady <laughs> <laughs> the writing talks about the source of femininity and the source of masculinity. These are also um, Confucian and like Taoist related in terms of forming the, these complementary binaries. Yeah, it, it appears the, the Nihongi, even more so than the Kojiki, is definitely adopting a Confucian sort of ordering of the universe. Confucian and Taoist ordering of the universe. Now, when the time of birth arrived, first of all the islands of Ahaji... That was quick. Yep. <laughs> Very fast. Well, they're giving birth to lands, not people <laughs> or other deities. Well, I guess the islands are kind That's of... worse. <laughs> Why is that worse? Oh, it gets I'm worse. Land. It gets worse. <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> now, when the time of birth arrived, first of all, the islands of Ahaji was reckoned as the placenta. And their minds took no pleasure in it. <laughs> Therefore, <laughs> it received the name Ahaji no Shima. Now... It, off the top of my head, I don't fully know what that means. So in the notes, they just say that the island was unsatisfactory. The name can also be interpreted as my shame. Yeah. So apparently this is a shit-ass island. <laughs> and it's embarrassing that they even made it. <laughs> so like a placenta, they're they're like, oh, this is useless. Like, this isn't an actual child. This is useless. Yeah. But like, not- Did they birth an, an island before the placenta island? No, I think this like- island placenta is it the first island that doesn't make sense from a I, yeah i mean this is well the, the, technically they are living on onogoroshima this the the axis which turns the rest of the world i suppose i don't even know if really japanese people at this time had the concept of the placenta like this seemed might be a translation issue where like there was another i'm sure word. women had a concept of the placenta well i mean they might not have like a word for it or the word for it would have been like conceptualized differently is what i'm thinking Mm. and so the closest thing we might have to it would be the placenta but the placenta is almost like too medical like western medical i think and like western medicine doesn't really come into japan until like like into the edo period which is like in like the the 17 1600 and 1700s and part of the 1800s so commodore perry oh perry you and your guns (laughs) (laughs) come blasting in with your gunships and be like knock knock motherfucker (laughs) open up (laughs) hey let's 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 build a railroad in japan yeah i think the gist that we need to take from this paragraph is that ahaji island is a fuck up and it was very embarrassing for them to have made and you might be wondering why was this island such a fuck up well don't worry We'll get to the explanation probably in a moment. Because only the man, because uh, only the man uh, was satisfied by that encounter. Uh, no, it's probably it's because he talked first, <laughs> or it's because she talked first, so the woman fucked it up. Of course. 
what next there was produced the island of Oho Yamato no Toyoaki Tsushima. It's a long one. It's like the gate to the mountains is how the, the translator is is choosing to to describe it. Yamato is the ancient name for Japan. You can see the word Yamato all, all over the goddamn place in the, the naming scheme of a lot of Japanese things. Um, next, they produced the island of Iyo no Futana, and next to the island of Tsukushi. I actually know that one. Uh, <laughs> next are the islands of Oki and Sado, real islands. Uh, I don't actually know where Ahajijima or uh, any of the other islands that they've mentioned would be. Uh, I think the one that they're they're fucking on might be a made-up island. I'd have to consult a map. <laughs> but but these other ones, these ones are real. These ones are real places. <laughs> <laughs> Oki and Sato were actually born as twins. Uh, this is the prototype of twin verse, which sometimes take place among mankind. So if you ever wondered, how do twins? This is how twins. Uh, next was born the island of Koshi, and then the island of Ohoshima, and the island of Kibinoko. Hence, first arose the designation of the Ohoyashima country. The islands of Tsushima and Iki, with the small islands in various parts, were produced by the coagulation in the foam of the salt water. It is also stated that they were produced by the coagulation of foams of fresh water. In one writing, it is said that the gods of heaven address Izanagi and Izanami, saying, There is a country, Toyoashi Harachi o Aki no Mizuho. Do ye proceed and bring it to order? They then gave them the jewel spear of heaven. Thereupon the two gods stood on the floating bridge of heaven and plunged down the spear, sought for land. And then upon stirring the ocean with it and bringing it up again, the brine which stripped from the spear point coagulated and became an island, which was called Onogorojima. The two gods descended, dwelt on this land, and erected uh, their pillar. (laughs) (laughs) An eight-fathom palace. (laughs) They also set up the pillar of heaven. And then the male deity asked the female deity, saying, is there anything formed in my body? And she answered, my body has a place completely formed and called the source. We're kind of getting repetitive again with ever so slight variations. I think um, the the compilers of this text are engaging in covering their ass by including as many variants of this creation story as possible, just to hedge their bets with the imperial line who will be reading it later. I desire to unite, unite my source of masculinity to thy source of femininity. And having thus spoken, they prepared to go around the pillar of heaven. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going to try to incorporate that into my <laughs> daily life. Time to go around the pillar of heaven. <laughs> having thus spoken, <laughs> they prepared to go around the pillar of what heaven. What did you do today? Oh, I just went around the pillar of heaven. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me take you around my pillar of heaven. Yo. Ooh. We can we can make stickers and be like, oh, use this pickup line. <laughs> Delightful. Do thou, my younger sister. Problematic. Go around to the left <laughs> while I go around from the right. And having done so, they went separately and met. When the female deity spoke first and said, how pretty a lovely youth. The male deity then answered and said, how pretty a lovely maiden. And finally, they became husband and wife. Their first child was the leech whom they straightaway placed in a reed boat and sent adrift. Now, this is the part of the story that I'm most familiar with because uh, the leech child gets a, a lot of talk in a lot of uh, scholarship and it sets a precedent for many things. And then the shameful island is also what comes out next. Like, are you saying leech? Leech, like, like, a, blood... like a blood-sucking leech that gets on you when you swim in a pond. Yeah, that kind of thing. I think it's called that. And like in the Japanese, uhiru, uhiru, um means that kind of leech but it's also being used here 
But I have recently learned that uh, the leech child later on apparently becomes the the god Ebisu, which is the god of fortune. And like when you see like the seven gods of luck and wealth in certain Japanese artwork and stories and paintings, yeah, he's the he, he's the god of of like fortune and wealth. So how that change takes place, I'm not entirely certain. I couldn't really find a quick and dirty of that. This is a real story of of uh, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, as it were, or your your geta straps, because <laughs> you know he goes from being the shit ass leech child that gets put in a boat and just sent away to becoming the god of fortune. So you know, however that happened, you know, hopefully he didn't kill people to do it's it. A rags to riches story. Yeah, it's a rags true, to riches story. True rags to riches. So this isn't Moses when he's born. They're like, oh, gotta eat this kid, and they sit him in a boat down a river. <laughs> And oh, we're going to gonna talk that, about that it. That is an episode that is coming up. Yeah. All right. We'll be able to make some. Eventually. Cross-cultural comparisons. We have so, <laughs> we have so many. Nice. I think also that's the one we're going to talk about. Ah, yes. That will be our episode on Moses and Sargon of Akkad. Nice. We'll co- do some comparisons later, I guess, to uh, rags to riches or rags to profit story or whatever but yeah they send it away the leech child and they also give birth to that fucking island a haji (laughs) (laughs) this is also not included in the number of their children so these are illegitimate kids uh and islands as it were for the purposes of how many gods and stuff izanagi and izanami give birth to uh, these two don't count they were wrong wherefore they returned up again to heaven and fully reported the circumstances then the heavenly gods divined them this by greater divination, upon which they instructed them, saying, It was by the reason of the woman's having spoken first. Ye had best return thither then. Thereupon, having divined a time, they went down. The two deities accordingly went again around the pillar. <laughs> Another roll around the pillar. And the male deity from the left, female deity from the right. They met, and the male deity spoke first, saying, How pretty, a lovely maiden. And the female deity answered next and said, How pretty, a lovely youth. Uh, thereafter, they dwelt together in the same <laughs> palace that and had children. And now we're going to get to a long list of more names of their children. So the world, the rest of the world doesn't exist. Got it. Okay. No, Japan's the center of the universe. (laughs) The world turns around Japan. Why is that weird? (laughs) Apparently, according to another writing, they also produce the seas and the rivers and the mountains. And then they produce Kukunochi, the ancestor of all the trees. And then next, the ancestor of herbs, Kaya no Hime, also called Nuzuchi. So... They did that in the meantime, too, after like all the islands and the leech children and all that jazz. After all of this creation business, Izanagi no Mikoto and Izanami no Mikoto consulted together, saying, We have now produced the great eight island country with the mountains, the rivers, the herbs, and trees. Why should we not produce someone who shall be lord of the universe? They then got together and produced the sun goddess, who was called Ohohirume no Muchi, called in one writing Amaterasu no Ohokami. I think she's better known as Amaterasu. That's the sun goddess. She rules Japan. The resplendent luster of this child shone throughout the six quarters. Oh, it's just like the cardinal directions. Therefore, the two deities rejoice, saying, We have had many children, but none of them have been equal to this wondrous infant. She ought not to be kept long on this land, but we ought to, of our own accord, send her at once to heaven and entrust her to the affairs of heaven. At this time, heaven and earth were still not far separated, and therefore they sent her up to heaven by the ladder of heaven. They next produced the moon god. 
called in one writing Tsukiyumi no Mikoto or Tsukiyomi no Mikoto. His radiance was next to that of the sun in splendor. This god was to be the consort of the sun goddess and to share in her government. They therefore sent him up, also up to heaven. Next, they produced the leech child, which even at the age of three years could not stand upright. They therefore placed it in a rock camphor wood boat of heaven and abandoned it to the winds. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually about to say, what about the leech child? What about him? <laughs> We don't care about the leech child until later when he becomes Ebisu, apparently. But until that point, he's a non-entity. <laughs> uh, their next child was called Soso no Parents. They they're kind of kind of shitty. Their next child was Soso no o no Mikoto, called in one writing Kami no Soso no o no Mikoto or Ahaya Soso no o no Mikoto. This god had a fierce temper and was given to cruel acts. Moreover, he made a practice of continually weeping and wailing, so he brought many of the people in the land to an untimely end. I guess we have people at this point. Again, I don't, I don't like the weeping and the wailing. Oh, you're going to hate Susan O'O even more in the next reverse remedial Sunday school. We'll get to him again at some point. But yeah, apparently he cried like such a baby. He killed people with his crying. <laughs> I mean, that's a cool skill, but... Suck it up, bro. Dick. Um, again, he caused green mountains to become withered. Therefore, two gods, his parents, addressed Susano. I, I bet know him better as Susano, but they're calling him Sosano in here, so I'll try to be consistent. Uh, they addressed him, saying, We won't remember, so you don't have to be consistent. <laughs> thou art exceedingly wicked, and it is not meet that thou shouldst reign over the world. Certainly, thou must depart far away to the netherland. And so, at length, they expelled him. They put him in a boat, too? No, no, no. They just, they, they expelled him. He's already, like, formed, I guess. And he's not technically a malformed. He's just an ass. So, they just are like, fuck off. Just fuck off. <laughs> All right. Uh, he gets expelled from uh, heaven. So, he's eventually going to end up on Earth to change his wicked ways, I guess. We'll see how that goes later. So, and then we got a couple of variations on this, uh, but suffice to say, this is just an explanation, explanation of the creation of the sun goddess, and they're going on at length here about her and how awesome she is, because the imperial line is supposedly descended from the sun goddess. She will eventually give uh, creation to an emperor of legend, and then <laughs> the emperors will all trace their lineage back to this one legendary guy. I'm gonna skip over the variations because they are long and excessive, and this is going to be a long episode if we go through them. It's already kind of a long episode. So they want to claim that they're descended from the sun goddess, but the only people who can rule are Zimin. Yeah. That makes no sense to me. The divine rug was given to this one particular guy, and apparently it has passed on. But you talked to that. Okay. This text also has the genealogy, and there were female empresses that occurred at this time, but I'm sure they're just going to kind of gloss over a lot of that. Um, or give an explanation that there really was no other dude in the imperial line who could have possibly ruled, even if we went super duper far out <laughs> in the family tree. So we just, we unfortunately had to put a woman on the throne. So after we get the creation, uh, or we get Susan O'O expelled, this is where the birthing shit hits the fan. The next child was Kagusuchi. This is a fire god. As you know, Japan is a very volcanic place. And so the, the, the fire god is pretty prominent. So now Izanami no Mikoto was burnt by Kagutsuchi so that she died. When she was laying down to die, she gave birth to the earth goddess, Hanayama Hime, and the water goddess, Mizuha no Hime. Upon this, Kagutsuchi took 
to wife Hana Yamahime, and they had a child named Wakamusubi. On the crown of the deity's head were produced the silkworm and the mulberry tree, and in her navel, the five kinds of grain. So upon the dead body, instead of having maggots on uh, her, her dead body, Anami has silkworms and mulberry trees, which feed the silkworms to make luscious silk. And uh, I guess she's got a lot of like, grain in her belly button. So that's pretty sad that uh, we, we lose Izanami. But the story doesn't end there with the death of the goddess, of course. In one writing, it is said, Izanami no Mikoto and Izanagi no Mikoto have together produced the great island land. After having done that, uh, Izanagi said, over the country which we have produced, there is not but morning mists and a shed of perfume everywhere. So he puffed them away with a breath, which became changed into the god Shina no Tohe no Mikoto. He also called Shinatsu Hiko no Mikoto. This is the god of the wind. And blah, 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 blah. <laughs> they produce all manner of things and then uh izanami gets burnt and so finally we get to izanagi's reaction he he was wroth and said oh that i should have given my beloved younger sister wife in exchange for a single child so while he crawled at her head he crawled at her feet weeping and lamenting the tears which he shed fell down and became a deity it is the deity who dwells in Ud- no Mikoto. That is a weird romanization. At length, he drew at the ten-span sword, which he was girt, and cut Kagasuchi into three pieces. That's the fire god. And each of those pieces became their own god. Moreover, the blood which dripped from the edge of the sword became multitudinous rocks, which are in the bed of the easy river of heaven. This god was the father of Futsunushi no Mikami. Moreover, the blood which dripped from the hilt ring of the sword spurted out and became deities. It's a really prolific uh, dismemberment. Yeah, yeah. Everything that Izanam- Izanagi does um, just gets gods all over the fucking place. So, moreover, the blood which spurted from the point of the sword became deities, which are called blah, 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 blah. <laughs> There's so <laughs> um, The blood that dripped from the head of the sword also became gods. You don't really need to know these ones. You just need to know that he's he's making gods all over the place with every single thing. He's tripping and making gods. Here's another fun part. Thereafter, after having made all these gods and crying all the, over the fucking place and bleeding all over the fucking place and making gods, uh, he went after Izanami no Mikoto and entered the land of Yomi. When he reached her, they conversed together. And Izanami no Mikoto said, My lord and husband, why is thy coming so late? I have already eaten of the cooking furnace of Yomi. Nevertheless, I am about to lie down to rest. I pray thee, do not thou look at me. Izanami no Mikoto did not give ear to her, but secretly took his many-toothed comb and, breaking off its end tooth, made of it a torch and looked at her. Putrefying matter had gushed up and maggots swarmed. This is why people at the present day avoid using a single light at night and also avoid throwing away a comb at night. Izanagi no Mikoto was greatly shocked and said, Nay, I have come unawares to a hideous and polluted land. So he speedily ran back again. And then Izanami no Mikoto was pretty angry and said, (laughs) (laughs) and said, why didst thou not observe that which I charged thee? Now I am put to shame. So she sent eight ugly females of Yomi. (laughs) (laughs) Shikome, called by some Hisame, uh, to pursue and stay him. Izanagi no Mikoto therefore drew his sword and flourishing it behind him ran away. 
He then took his back headdress and flung it down. It became changed into grapes, which the ugly female seeing took and ate. When they had finished eating them, they again pursued Izanagi no Mikoto. Then he flung down his many-tooth comb, which forthwith got changed into bamboo shoots. The ugly females pulled them up and ate them, and when they had done eating them, again gave chase. Afterwards, Izanami no Mikoto came, came herself and pursued them. By this time, Izanagi no Mikoto had reached the even pass of Yomi. According to one account, Izanagi no Mikoto made water against a large tree. Sorry, do I need to stop at any point for you guys to uh, chime in? Because there's a lot happening here. <laughs> so she's a zombie. Uh, so the land of Yomi is kind of like an underworld. It is, it's basically the underworld, but like it's not like a hell or anything like that. It's just where the, it's just where the dead go. But you're also still rotting, I guess, because she's all maggoty and gross. And like when it was dark at first, he was like, "Hey, babe, come back with me. I don't want you to be here." And Yomi, this sucks. And she's like, "Okay, but just you can't look at me. Don't look at me. You have one job. It's not look at me." He immediately fucks it up <laughs> by making a torch, and then he sees her. He's like, "Oh fuck, ugly." <laughs> he's like, "Hell no, <laughs> I don't want your maggoty ass." And then he runs away, and he gets chased. Wow, just as romantic as Orpheus and Eurydice or whatever. Eurydice. I don't know how you say her name. But yeah, both men just could not look. They couldn't not. They don't follow directions very well. I've noticed. They don't. They really, they really don't. Izanagi made water against a large tree once he gets out of Yomi, uh, which water turned into a great river. And while the ugly females of Yomi were preparing to cross the river, Izanagi had already reached the even pass of Yomi, so he took a thousand men pole rock, aka boulder, and blocked up the path with it, stood face to face with Izanami no Mikoto, and at last pronounced the formula of divorce. <laughs> Upon this, Izanami no Mikoto said, Dear Lord and husband, if thou say so, I will strangle to death the people of the country which thou dost govern a thousand in a day. And then Izanagi no Mikoto replied, saying, My beloved younger sister, if thou say so, in one day I will cause to be born fifteen hundred. Then he said, Come no further, and threw down his staff, which he called Funado no Kami. Uh, moreover, he threw down his girdle, which also became a god. Blah, blah. He he, he takes off his clothes, and they all become gods. And then he's like, oh god, I was hanging out in such a gross place. Like, it was so impure. I gotta wash my ass. And so he does. He finds a, a place in the river, and then he starts cleaning himself. And so uh, he says he has to clean it of pollutions. There is a god that comes out of every single place that he washes. <laughs> So which one comes out of his butt? You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not sure how to search for that in this particular document. I don't know how they're <laughs> going to refer to butt. <laughs> but basically, like, he washes his mouth like he would in front of a Shinto shrine. A god comes out. He uh, washes his hands. Gods come out. He washes his nose. Gods come out. That would get really annoying real quick. It's like having the Midas touch, but instead of turning things to gold, you're turning things into gods. I think in one version of the story... He washes his left eye and creates Amaterasu, the sun goddess, who grants, you know, the divine right of kings to the imperial family lineage. So it kind of conflicts with uh, what we heard before, but we this is also giving us every single possible version of the story we can they had at the time, probably. So you just need to know that, like, gods come out of everywhere. That's uh, pretty much where I was going to leave off for today, because the creation story, uh, not only how the world came to be, but also answers like why there's always an, why there's usually an increase in population all the time. It's because uh, Izanami is killing a bunch of people, 
but Izanagi's forcing about 500 more than that to always be born. So there's a, a constant increase in the trajectory of the population. Well, I guess that makes sense. She's kind of like the goddess of death and he's like yeah. the god of life. Yeah, basically. And then uh, it also explains like the importance of ritual purification of pollutants and the bathing in the stream. And so when you go into the shrine, that's why you also ritually cleanse your, yourself with water. Don't spit it back out into the fountain. You let it go on the ground. <laughs> Very important. We don't want to have a mass uh, backwash situation in the fountain. I am, yeah. There, There's a lot going on in just this first part of the Age of the Gods, as it is called. I should mention that he gives birth to like eight thunder gods by like dropping things at one point. It's just gods all over the place. But the main the important god that you really need to know for like future purposes is, is Amaterasu. She's like going to be like your next protagonist in the Age of the Gods, who's responsible for kind of kickstarting humans in the world for real this time. <laughs> it's also unclear when exactly people come to be. They're not really so much concerned about that aspect probably of like explaining why the population is there. They're primarily going for just how uh the imperial line really gets to be so i mean that really that really supports the idea that it was written for them yeah normies wouldn't have been literate at this time so they weren't even fucking on the radar anyway so thoughtful i have to say i really like it it's very blunt i feel like you could you know you could have religious sex ed and it actually would you know like make sense mm-hmm I really like the names. <laughs> so I don't remember. I like how Jen them. progressively read all the names faster. They have a, kind of a repeating pattern to a lot of them. So it uh, you only have to really worry about the front end of it. And then the back end, it's all nomikoto. I like listening to you speak Japanese. <laughs> I don't say it aloud very often with you. Come to think of it, like with my cohort of graduate students, we rarely actually talk in Japanese like to one another, like Ryuji just talking english but see because that's like normal behavior yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's certain people that uh claire and i are around who just feel the need to speak in whatever language they're learning or that they know mm-hmm. and it comes across as like you're very obnoxious and an asshole some of my friends when we were in japan like speaking japanese that was like the only time and we were both kind of like hello oh you're speaking japanese <laughs> <laughs> I mean like if you're there then yeah speak in Japanese but if you're like in the U.S. and you're around anyone who doesn't it's like really awkward yeah I think if I went around saying karaoke every time I wanted to do karaoke I would get punched in the face at some point <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a safe bet kind of like people who go around saying croissant or whatever <laughs> like overly pronouncing like, non-English words or there was someone on like Hell's Kitchen who just like constantly said like we chef Oh my to, God. like, every question Gordon asked him, and it was like, you're on a reality TV show. No one hears French. Like, I just say yes. Just say, chef, 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 or whatever, when they're, they're saying things. It's just like, just say okay. It, it's very suspiciously hierarchical when it comes to uh, men's influence on cooking. I feel like when women were, like, originally, like, doing cooking, they probably weren't quite so uh, hierarchical, like, having a title. Okay, okay, okay. So let me tell you, it's, like, most, there's, like, this whole thing where it's, like, things only become really professional when men take over or when men think they're cool because actually like brewing right now is so such a male dominated enterprise and field but in the medieval period especially in cologne Mm -hmm. there were like all these like really all female guilds of female brew masters and 
men were like, oh no, this is a masculine profession. And then they, one, made it more legitimate and also like changed Mm -hmm. who could and could not do it. Well, thank you for joining us this time. Uh, Make sure to vote, not for assholes. And see you until, until next time. Bye.